Hello and welcome again to Animation Aficionados. Uh, we are finishing up our uh, look at uh, Marvel in the uh, 90s to the early 2000s. Uh, this is again Ben, and we have joining us Neil. Uh, he is Oli, you are Sven. And we also have John. Tell me about the rabbits, George. Okay, and uh, we have to once again emphasize we don't have character acting here. We have <laughs> reviewing. <laughs> Speaking of bad acting, we have all seen the majority of these Marvel anime movies, uh, direct-to-DVD, uh, or as some of the anime fans would call them, OVAs. And, uh, you know, it's uh, we'll start with Neil, who has recently, extremely recently experienced the uh, pain that is Ultimate Avengers. Yes, I watched Ultimate Avengers, and I barely knew what was going on. I'm not familiar with the comics, so... There are these aliens that come down. They're supposed they're, to be scrolls, but not. Yeah, they're supposed to be the yeah. scrolls, but I don't know who the hell the scrolls are. The and, scrolls were were villains that were originally fooled by uh, Mister Fantastic, showing him showing them uh, pulp uh, science fiction novels, saying we are capable of this. Ah. Okay. And they decide we don't want to do that. We would rather be brainwashed and turned into cows. <laughs> and then served at a local barbecue. This really happened, folks, in the comics. Sadly, this is true. <laughs> wow. Anyway. In a series written by Grant Morrison. <laughs> Actually, it was written by Jack Kirby. I was thinking of the Skull Kill crew. No, that was that that was to uh, clear up the continuity flow when they only showed three cows in the end, but there were four scrolls. Uh, and people were like, what happened to the fourth scroll? No idea. But anyways, Neil brings up a really good point that he was totally lost in the continuity. But the thing is, this movie doesn't even follow the Ultimates continuity. In the Ultimates comics, uh, Betty, as you know, is a bitch. In this, Betty's not a bitch. In Ultimate continuity, Thor is like a hippie who talks like a normal guy. In this continuity, he talks like his standard continuity, Doth, verily Shakespearean actor thing and stuff. Yeah, a whole lot of bard. Yes. Well, what was what was bothering me about it was that it didn't seem like there was a real central villain. It seemed like uh, Banner was was the main antagonist for most of the movie, and then they never went anywhere with it. It's like there's a there's another act that's missing. Yes. Yes. He kind of goes on a rampage at the end, and they calm Betty calms him down, and yes. That was it. Yes, well, the thing that really gets me is there's a scene midway in the movie, uh, which I call the retard rage scene. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a scene where, uh, basically they know that a scroll or whatever, the Kluthoth, or whatever they call it in this movie, are in this installation. They know that it's in the installation. They decide, okay, you know, we, me, me, and me are gonna go in the ins- installation and track them down. Giant man, your only job is to stand outside and step off if he if you see him exit out. And well, what happens is Giant Man's wife, uh, you know Hank Pym's wife Jan, gets hurt in the installation, and he decides the best way to help her is to leave his post and start banging with both of his fists on the roof of the building, trying to bring the building down while shouting her name. Well, he did beat his wife that one time, so yes. Yeah. <laughs> they were just bringing that in. Yeah, and it's, and, being, 
It's just this scene is so bafflingly, bafflingly badly written. I can't understand any motivation of the writers to write it this way. I don't understand the uh, logic of the editors that read this scene. And I really don't understand the people that were higher up that saw this screening. I'm sure that the then Marvel editor-in-chief saw this film before they released it. You know, I'm sure that a lot of people high up saw this. A lot of people that were in charge of editing this saw this and decided, yes, this is a great scene we're going to keep it in. And I don't understand why. Well, they certainly couldn't have him, you know, actually beating his wife, so they (laughs) replaced it with him beating the building she was in. Trying to save her. I, I really don't understand the logic or rationale rationale of the writers to to write this scene this way i really can't i can't wrap my mind around it and i'm sorry but this is one of those few things that on the show we're going to call a total retard writing moment where the writers came up with an idea and wrote it in such a way that there is no way you can make sense out of it yeah because i mean hank pym genius scientist creates a process by which he can increase his size to you know 60 feet tall don't you think a guy that's smart enough to do massive genetic modifications on his own body that don't kill him instantly would be smart enough to know pounding on the roof of a building is bad? It's like turning him giant turns him into Grimlock or something. Well, his body grows, <laughs> but his brain smash. <laughs> exactly. It's like his body grew, but his brain stayed the, sa- stayed the same size. So he's like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> Be Pim Smash. Yes. And, you know, there are a lot of other baffling scenes and animation. The animation in this just felt kind of weird. There were, there were certainly, there were certainly moments that were well animated. Certainly. But again, there were also moments that were kind of weirdly animated. It's, it was, the character models didn't seem quite right. Just in the basic design? Well, either in the design or how the animation studio handled them. But Neil, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, it's one of those cases where the style of the characters don't seem to mesh well with uh, with the studio that they chose. They, It wasn't the best style they could have used. It wasn't the worst, but... Well, yeah. It obviously didn't match up. It was... Uh... It it was a quagmire. The whole movie is kind of a quagmire. It was a bleh, meh thing, you know, aside from the obvious stuff like the retard moment. And, you know, like I said, it doesn't fit with the Ultimates continuity at all or even a version of it. It totally cherry picks things from both the regular continuity and the Ultimates continuity to fit this thing. And they called it Ultimate Avengers and had Brian Hitch's art on the cover. Yeah, because they wanted to give the whole something the whole family can enjoy. Yes, the the thing that's A on my head stands for France. Yeah. That was like the best line in that one. Yes. That and and Hulk straight, you know, when (laughs) Captain America's on the board and he's like, Hey, Hulk, see that guy over there, the head bad guy? He thinks you like guys. Hulk straight! And then Hulk eats the guy. And by the way, this was in the comic, not in the movie. So, yeah. So don't let us don't let us you know overinflate what you're expecting if you've never seen this movie because that's not in the movie. Yeah. No, it's not, and thank God for that. <laughs> I don't know. I would pay to see that. 
you just hear a knock on the door. It's like, Hulk, you okay in there? Hulk need more paper. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the, uh, the next movie we'll be talking about is another one Neil had to suffer through was, uh, The Invincible Iron Man. Okay. Now, am I, am I correct in, in believing that he was not Iron Man at the beginning of this movie? Is that right? Yes. Nope. Yeah. Yeah, he goes, what was it, China? It's been a couple weeks now, so it's... It's China. Been, it's been one week, and it's been China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he goes to China. He gets captured. He creates an Iron Man suit from scratch while he was captured. Goes back to New York. Gets a suit that he just happened to have, which wasn't supposed to be Iron Man, but now it is. Comes back. It's like back and forth a couple times. Yeah. Which well, he has like a whole bunch of suits. He just had... He has an armory. He's yeah. got his armory built into Stark Tower. Yeah, and he just happened to have it earlier. He never used any of these. He just happened to have these just sort of laying around, just in case. Yeah. <laughs> in case he had to dive into lava. Yeah. Which, by the way, once you make a suit that does that, nothing hurts you. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. tremendous pressure and heat and all that is, yeah. Invincible Iron Man indeed. Yes, and uh, the movie called, you know, the movie has like... Uh, Ancient uh, Chinese versions of classic Iron Man villains like, uh, you know, Grey Gargoyle is a Stone Golem. Uh, Whirl- or was it Whirlwind? Whirlwind is uh, some sort of air mystic and stuff yeah. like that. I, I don't know. It got the kinda, Blizzard. Yeah, the Blizzard was a uh, was a nice mystic, and you know, uh, it was just it was trying too hard to do one thing and. By the way, all the mystics are CGI, and it is really obviously bad against traditional animation backgrounds. Just, okay, want, I, just, just want to get it out there. Bad mesh. Yeah. The Iron Man suits weren't so hot either. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And the whole thing culminates down to uh, the uh, uh, Tony Stark's love interest in the in the movie, a uh, an Asian chick. Lee May. Yes. Is gathering all these uh, ancient rings. And uh, the, the end culminates in a giant showdown between uh, Iron Man in the original gray armor against a terracotta army and a giant dragon. And a ghost. <laughs> That's later. And, yeah. uh, and Iron Man has to wield his giant uh, Final Fantasy-style buster sword while doing it. <laughs> no, is. And the funny thing is, early in the movie, like in the first act, they actually ta- they actually showed a tapestry, an ancient Chinese tapestry, showing Iron Man in the gray armor using a giant sword fighting a dragon. Foreshadowing much? <laughs> a little too much, because it was pretty much in perfect detail, as perfect detail as a Chinese tapestry can get. But yeah, yeah, it's it, it, if if it looks exactly like it, that's not foreshadowing. That's this is the third act. Yeah, I mean, I foreshadowing mean, is making it look blurry or making it look like someone who could actually be in like that time armor, you know, that yeah. period armor. Not you know. well. I mean, you you look at the 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 well the classic gray armor that he makes when he busts out of his busts out of the terrorist stronghold. You know, if he had created something that looked more like the comics, and that's what he used to fight the terracotta army and the dragon at the end. Kind of the tapestry could have just looked like, you know, this giant armored knight. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If it looked like period yeah. armor at the time on the tapestry. But he just happens to end up creating the same design. I was like, wow, that's a coincidence. And, and even even a naked Asian chick at the end could not save this movie. And, and just to talk about the plot for a second, what bugged me the most about uh, Lee May 
in this movie. She, the whole movie, she's crying her eyes out every scene she's in. She doesn't want to follow her destiny. She doesn't want to have any part of this. Why doesn't she just, like, destroy the rings when they end up at the gate? No, she's just like, oh, the rings are here. Got to fulfill my destiny now, even though I don't want to. Yeah. It's just like, that didn't make sense at all. It's like, really? Well, well then again, you have to look at, you have to look at Asian culture and the Asian, uh, mindset of, uh, of parents and children and all that stuff. It's, uh, it's, if it, I don't know if you know, but I'm actually half Korean, so I understand a little bit of that mindset of, you know, your parents tell you to do something, you better do it. I got no problem with doing what my parents tell me to do, which is, <laughs> Pinocchio moment. Yeah. But it's just something like that. Okay, yeah, I'm coming from a different culture, so I don't understand that. It's just that's one of the things that annoyed me about the movie. The other was it's never clearly explained why S.H.I.E.L.D. thinks if, – if you haven't seen the movie, there's a – part of the plot is when Sh- Tony and Rhodey get back to the States, S.H.I.E.L.D. arrests them for – what are they, gun running or selling the weapons to the rebels or something like that? It's – Never really explained how they these charges are brought against Tony. Well, they had to have him sneak around and have uh, pepper pots uh, messing with the agents and stuff like that as a comical subplot that didn't go anywhere and wasn't really fulfilled and was total bullshit. It wasn't funny. But, you know, she's – and that's the other thing that kind of bugged me is, like, I like the classic Pepper, you know, the one that's, like, a year or two younger than Tony, and she's kind of hot, and she's happening. No, in this one, she's older than Tony, she's British, she's got the stiff upper lip, and she's a complete bitch. Yes, uh, yes, it was – it did not work. So they didn't have Betty being a bitch in Ultimate Avengers, but they had Pepper being a bitch in this one. So it kind of evens things out. Not really. Yeah, I don't understand – I don't think you quite – correctly estimate the bitchiness of ultimate betty oh no believe me i've read i read those comics i know what a complete bitch she is and just saying someone just hey we didn't do this in the avengers movie can you work it into iron man okay yeah and uh moving on uh neil also suffered through hulk versus didn't really suffer so much it was two stories first one was hulk versus uh thor Thor, yes, it was Thor. Uh, banners brought to uh, brought to Asgard uh, by Loki. They cast a spell on him to to bring the Hulk under their control. Then they separate the two, and then Hulk goes on a rampage in Asgard, and Banner stays behind. He eventually gets killed, and because he was in Asgard, he he gets taken down into uh, hell. Or That's hell with one L. Yeah, hell with one L. And uh, there's help me out here, Ben. What? What? what how would you I, I don't know. There was a lot of fighting and stuff. Well, basically, once again, Loki, god of mischief or evil, depending on the comic you're reading today, wants to take over Asgard while his dad Odin is having a week long nap. Yeah, he's having a nap. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's basically what it is. It's a week-long nap. He's a god. He can go a little longer if he wants. So he hits upon the idea. He brings Bruce Banner to Asgard, magically separates the two. So now he's just got a mindless brute of a beast, kills Banner. He goes to hell. The Hulk lays siege to Asgard and pretty much kicks everyone's ass. And Thor's the only one that really puts up a decent fight before he's almost killed by the bloody Hulk. 
goes to hell with Loki, and apparently Hela is Loki's daughter, and she rules over the land of the dead. And it's kind of interesting. Like, I like the way Loki manipulates his daughter into, like, rejoining the Hulk and Bruce Banner. Like, that part I liked about it. Just, like, dude, you control, like, frost giants and trolls and orcs and basically every other species that ever appeared. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, I'm just, I'm getting to this. Why does he need the Hulk? You know, but one thing, one thing. One thing I learned on the internet is you cannot control trolls. Okay. Even if you're Loki, you cannot control trolls. Okay. <laughs> I stand corrected. But that's what I'm getting at. Like, he has access to, like, a, he's got access to an army, the, you know, the size of what assaulted the the tower, or the, what did they call it? Like the, well, basically, he's got a crap ton of people he can throw at Asgard, and probably has the numbers to do it. But now I'm just going to get this 12-foot-tall green retard. Bring it back the retard rage. Because once you got rid of Banner, it's full-on retard rage. I don't really like saying that word, but it's the only way to describe it. Hey, now that's a hurtful word. Yeah. But that's what happens. I mean, he brings the Hulk up, and then by the end of it, they're joined back together. And, you know, Thor and everyone's celebrating the fact that Odin's finally woken up out of his sleep. You know? Odin wakes up. He's like, did I miss anything? And Thor's like, oh, father. And then the <laughs> Yeah. Well, the one thing that bugged me with the ending of that was like, okay, I liked how they, they, they got Thor and there's this big party and it's a celebration. You know, Asgard is safe again. Hail to the hero, Bruce Banner. Why isn't he at the party? No, he's already on earth and they do a really nice homage to the old live action Hulk with, you know, him putting the cap on his head and sadly walking off into the sunset, but it's like... Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. So why, I mean, come on, the guy just saved Asgard. Do you think Odin could have, like, let him crash there for a couple of days, you know, rest up? Let, let, him, let him party and eat and drink as much as he wants? Yeah. Sleep on thy couch. Oh, and stay thy hand from touching the Valkyries. It's not a good time. <laughs> yes, and then there was, a, then there was Hulk versus... Wolverine, which I think the only thing that carried that for me was Deadpool. I'll I'll, I'll second that, but I think another thing that kind of helped with that is the fact that despite it being a cartoon, they didn't shy away from a lot of the more adult violence inherent in that story. And they also didn't shy away from the fact that when you boil it down, Wolverine is outclassed. Yeah. For those that don't know, or those that are actually really mentally deficient or retarded, Wolverine is outclassed against the Hulk. I don't care what you say. I don't care when you say it. I don't care which versions. Wolverine is, as, and always will be outclassed by the Hulk. But he's the only one that can possibly take a beating from the Hulk because of his adamantium skeleton. Uh, that just means his bros won't break. His his tissue still bruises. And he heals. Yeah, but the, what if he tears the tissue off the bones? I mean, the bones are unbreakable, but that just means that when he's done, there's a big shiny skeleton in the end. Uh, it grows back. Wolverine is basically the Bugs Bunny of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying that, you know, when you boil it down to it, Wolverine's going to always be outclassed because yeah. the Hulk, when he gets bored, we could just throw him to the horizon or tear them apart and throw both halves to different sections of the horizon, just like in the Ultimates. Yeah. I, would, I would call him the uh, Wily e. Coyote of the Marvel Universe because Wily e. Coyote is much more prone to being maimed, yes. whereas Bugs Bunny yeah. never gets maimed. Well, actually, Daphne Duck has a very high damage tolerance. 
Yeah, but that would make Deadpool the Daffy Duck of the Marvel Universe, wouldn't well, it? Uh, well, it depends on which version of Daffy, because uh, pre-Crisis Daffy had a huge damage soak and was actually <laughs> was actually much better than Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Post-Crisis then, Daffy became Bugs' bitch. Yeah. Whereas before he was a raving psychotic, after the crisis, he was on Prozac. <laughs> yes. Yes, there actually wasn't really a, a uh, Warner Brothers crisis, per se, but there was actually a very definitive mark where Daffy Duck went from able star to wimpy co-star and it was a very sad day in duckdom yeah no the who okay besides deadpool because i think we can all agree deadpool is one of the better villains in hulk versus wolverine who which of the other villains did you like deadpool no, the, 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 the others are a blur. Just Deadpool was what saved the whole thing for me. I like the part where Wolverine sliced his arm off, and there are like sections there like meat donuts, and he's trying to push them together on his arm again. Yeah. It's like, oh, jeez, it doesn't go in like that. <laughs> ah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, and then again, Nolan North, like Giant Man from Ultimate Avengers, does his voice, and he's got some great lines. It's like, Wolverine, it's me, Deadpool, I shot you. <laughs> Is, is that really something you want to say to a guy like Wolverine? <laughs> well, at least it worked better than Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. You know, so his mouth shut, then melted shut. And let his swords grow out of his arms. Which doesn't make sense because that means his arms are always stiff all the time because of the size of the swords. Yeah. Uh, I like what people say that didn't make any sense and that's a movie and we're not going to be touching that. But yeah, it's uh, overall... The uh, Marvel anime movie ventures, I see them as a failure, personally, because they really didn't make any waves. There was nothing that really pushed the boundaries. I mean, sure, they had some blood here and there. Yeah. And sure, you had a transgendered uh, Mandarin, briefly, kind of, a yeah. little yeah. bit. Sort of. But, you know, the writing was crap. The uh, animation was uneven and inconsistent. Again, is this is this a... Symptom of the larger problem that Marvel really never had a Bruce Tim behind their for, you know, as the driving force in the nineties. I think it is. Yeah, because you kind of need someone to ride herd and all this stuff. I mean, when you look at the Marvel animated movies, like okay, the Doctor Strange one, out of all of them, it's probably my favorite because it doesn't have the most clearly defined story, but I think it has the most coherent story. Probably be because because it probably dumped all all implications and uh, aspirations of being in any sort of continuity or fitting in anywhere out the window and try to be its own thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they completely screwed with his origin. It's like, okay, so he's a martial artist who can wield energy and he can do magic with it. Okay. He can form swords out of thin air. Well, why not? <laughs> But no, I think, but yeah, so the, the Doctor Strange is my favorite. Just A, I like the, I think, uh, again, like you said, you, a lot of the an, animation was uneven. I think the Doctor Strange one, for a lot of, like, the animation was pretty solid for that one. It wasn't perfect, but I think it held together a lot better than uh, a lot of the other movies. Yes. Well, like I said, the biggest problem is there was no, that one driving force behind Marvel from the 90s to the 2000s. It's a, some might argue that the A.V. Averid, whose name is on everything, but I, I don't know what he really does, and I can't pretend to know what he really does because it, because if someone is to argue that guy is a defining, unifying force in everything Marvel does, I can't see it. 
No offense to the guy, but I can't see it. Uh, he can't argue because he's just the guy that was in charge of all their media stuff. But you know, how much impact did he really have on anything? He got to sign his name and collect a check. So he was the Stanley of the uh, media branch. Yeah, that, that would be fair. I guess I'm going to get a lot of angry me- emails now. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you know, so that's just how I feel about. Stan, the uh, not-so-great man. I tell you what, he's not as good as artist as his brother. His brother's an artist? Yeah, he did the Spider-Man uh, newspaper comic strips. Oh, I didn't know that. Larry Lieber? Oh, my God, yeah. Cause, see, for, and you, I, I'm going to have to beg your forgiveness. I, sometimes I, I just, I'm, I'm, slapping, I'm slapping my forehead now. Yes. I mean, Neil knew this. Well, I just for years, I, I always, you know, just say Stan Lee, and I always forget that his real last name is Lieber. A lot so. of the, a lot of the artists back then changed their names. I mean, the, I mean, the Jack Kirby was uh, Jacob Kurtzberg. Yeah. Um, uh, Bob King was Bob Kahn. It's, really? Yes. Uh, God, I'm gonna have to do tons of research now and just refresh myself. Yes. Yeah, so. To correct you there, but I. I was aware that Stan had changed his name, but I never, I never made that connection between him and his brother. You, you never, you know, leaping Larry Lieber. I heard of the guy. I just, I never put it together. Larry, you know, I, you're like Ben's, like it's like sort of like not knowing that uh, Prince Adam is He Man, even though they look exactly the same. And they'd say it in the intro. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, uh, wonder if some magic powers were revealed to him when he held aloft his magic fists. Yeah. Well, I'm referring to something that we'll, we'll eventually get to, uh, about the dumbness of, uh, He-Man, but, uh, that, that's a, a topic for another time. Yes, yes, and, uh, we are wrapping up, you know, what, uh, what Marvel did wrong yeah. in, in, from the 90s to the 2000s. So, uh, like I said, I think the problem is there was no one defining force. There was no one defining animation style. I'm not saying that there should have been locked into one single style, but having a studio look would have definitely helped. Yeah. And uh, those are, those are my initial thing, feelings because the early animated series in the nineties was stuff you couldn't differentiate from, uh, I mean, but this way, if you were watching a superhero cartoon in the nineties and if it was X-Men or Spider-Man or, uh, you know, God forbid the Wildcats or, uh, or, uh, Iron Man, Iron Man or what's, what's the other one there? Ultra Force, they all had the same kind of art style. You yeah, know, that, that kind that, of that slightly shiny look to it. Yeah. With the heavy ink lines that don't move when they're in the light or the dark. I can see that. You know, that's the thing. You look at all those series and they all sort of fall in the same sort of blah. Even though, you know, even though Wildcats is, uh, you know, uh, is a Wildstorm, now a subsidiary of DC, and, uh, and, uh, Ultra Force is a subsidiary of Image. That's actually owned by Marvel. Yes, a subsidiary of Marvel. And uh, it's kind of interesting that, you know, they pretty much, you know, did all these series how they wanted to. Uh, you know, Hulk was freaking syndicated. You know, it's, you know, everything else was on Fox when, back when they had Fox Kids. It, but, you know, you know, it was... Uh, you know, Hulk was syndicated. It was kind of a very strange feeling that they, that I had watching these that it wasn't really gelling. And the, there were times when they, the producers tried to make them gel. 
yeah. and it didn't work because you know there was such a disconnect. I remember watching the Spider-Man series, and they had the X-Men crossover, and Beast had a completely different look, completely 100%, totally different look. But it was the same voice actor, and that was supposed to be the connect. But if the the design was so completely different, there was a disconnect. Young children, that's a disconnect. For the older fans, it's still a disconnect. I mean, there's there's suspension of disbelief, which is easier as you get as well. It's easier to acknowledge consciously as you get older. Easier to just accept when you're younger, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you know. When we had these crossovers and the characters don't quite match from one series to another, there's a disconnect. And part of this is because they didn't have a, a single, you know, studio style as a basis for all the other styles. And they did one thing right was when they went to Warner Brothers Animation and said, we don't know what we're doing. And Warner Brothers, you know, Animation, brother. yeah, and Warner Brothers <laughs> made the X-Men Evolution, which introduced an actual animation style for animation. In actual animation. Yeah. In actual writing, but it was not well accepted by most fans because that most fans wanted the continuity mess. God forbid. And so that was the last, that was the first and last time Marvel really touched greatness in, in the late nineties with animation. They touched it and then it faded away. And I'm just looking at it. It's kind of sad because, you know, DC dominated the better quality animation in the nineties and it all pretty much fell on Bruce Tim. Not because of studio executives decided he was the best person. Pretty much fell in his lap because he was the only guy who did it. He's the only one that gave more than two tugs about it. Well, it's actually a funny story. He was, you know, I don't know if you know this, but he was actually a storyboard artist for Tiny Toons. No, I knew that. And the original uh, animation test for Batman, he did, while working on in-betweens and stills for Tiny Toons, he just sort of did it all on his desk at the same time. You know, had it Really cheaply animated, well, cheaply for that time, for a, a nice 30-second test. Showed it, everybody loved it, and, you know, boom. Yeah. You know, this wasn't a committee decision. He had to deal with a lot of committees, but he sort of fell into it. Versus how most of the Marvel stuff is a committee, de- committee decision. Can you imagine how their animated series are going to be committee decisions now? <laughs> with Disney being in the mix. Yes. Makes no difference who you are. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I think that's where Marvel fell, fell apart as, you know, providing animated series in the 90s. I mean, uh, Neil, how do you feel about it after, you know, journeying with us through the 90s and the early 2000s with Marvel? Uh, it hurt. It hurt a lot. Um, what was there, what was their shortfall? Uh, you could just say. Consistency. Yeah. That's definitely it. That's, and, that's the best I can come up with. And John? I'm going to agree with Neil. It just, I mean, I like Evolution, but I mean, that wasn't Marvel's main thing. They had to go outside their sandbox. They just never had that consistent vision. Like, even if it was by committee, they just couldn't get, they couldn't agree on anything. Yes. Yes. What did they do right? Other than running the Warner Brothers animation. <laughs> the um, only thing that I can think of that Marvel did right in the 90s, 2000s with their animation was the first series or first season of the Incredible Hulk cartoon. In that uh, the animation was more or less, I won't say solid, but it was 
we watched the season one. We watched the season one episode. We saw the first two minutes when the Hulk was running away from robots was well animated, but after that, as soon as he turned into the Hulk, yeah, the animation went. Yeah, but I mean, the first season of that was like a Marvel comic. It it had the Hulk, Bruce Banner trying to cure himself. It had him hulking out and fighting, you know, the supervillain of the episode, being chased by Thunderbolt Ross, pining after Betty. Had Rick Jones. Voiced by Luke Perry for God, some God unknown reason, but I mean that first season, like it actually held together pretty well. I don't think it really holds up over time, but it still held. It was still pretty good. Whereas in the second season, it just fell off the rails and became the Hulk and She-Hulk. And the less said about that, the better. Yes, well, to me, the one thing Marvel did right was casting the best Wolverine voice. Yeah, you can't you can't argue with that. Yes, but I, I have heard from many authorities that Canadians really don't sound like that. No, you got to be drunk and be smoking for like years to get that sort of growl in your voice. What I really love is uh, you know go on YouTube and search for uh, Floating Hand Studios, and their version of Wolverine's the best. Okay. But yeah, it's a don't want don't look for it now. But anyways, uh, you know, overall that that's how we feel. At, you know, Marvel's animation through this through this look through this observation we did fell apart in the '90s through lack of real cohesiveness, even through design by committee. And overall, they could have used a Bruce Tim, and you know, even with the OVAs or direct-to-DVD, or however you want to call it, it still lacked that unified vision, even if they were all going to be, as DC would call them, Elseworlds. You know, it was just overall a lack of passion, I think. Yeah, that would be, probably be the best way to explain it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I think we're going to wrap up tonight's episode. Uh, you know, join us next time where we'll be going over my uh, top 20 animated series list. And I, I think we should also say that eventually we, we will return back to uh, another era of Marvel animation that uh, may have uh, the touch, shall we say? Yes, the uh, Sunbow. Yeah, the Sunbow era, my favorite era. Yes. Yes, we have a very lovely schedule. We have uh, my top 20, and then we'll, we'll, we will have a, a couple of... Uh, Retrospectives on anime, so just to show we aren't Western animation snobs, we will go into anime, and we will even go into franime. You're talking about that Fantastic Four cartoon, aren't you? We are not. Okay, but we good. Should, we, should touch, should, we shall touch on the uh, spray-painted uh, Ben Grimm someday. <laughs> but yes, uh, until next time, uh, this is Ben. TV's Mr. Neil. This is John. And we will see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.